Were you ever mustache guy? Gosh, yeah. I think I want a schedule that's more like my physique. I look back at that picture and I think to myself, why didn't, did I not have any friends? Oh, yeah, this is a good one for me. Hallelujah. <laughs> this is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. We are remembering Kobe Bryant today and joining us now to uh, do so from a unique perspective on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline is former BYU basketball legend, NBA veteran, and a longtime NBA analyst in Los Angeles, Michael Smith. Michael, nice to have you back on the show. I wish it were under different pretenses, um, but we appreciate the time and Let's start here. What was your reaction to the news of Kobe Bryant dying in a helicopter crash along with eight others? First of all, disbelief, right? I mean, uh, I was in town Saturday to do a jazz game, but I was in Vegas Friday, so I drove my kids there, and they were in this huge dance competition the whole weekend. So believe it or not, I'm like driving to Vegas and getting things set up for a Friday night competition. Saturday morning, I jump on a plane, I go to, Salt Lake, we do that 3 o'clock jazz game, great victory over the Mavericks, and then fly back. And then Sunday's the final day of the competition. So I'm sitting in this huge auditorium and kind of in the details of changing costumes for our kids and all that. And and I'm on a group text chain with my fellow jazz broadcasters, whom I love, like Boone and Thurl and Buller Jack and Kristen and Alema and David Locke, and we're... You know, nobody's, that's just one of the group text things that sits on your phone. And Thurl says to everyone, did you see the the Kobe story? And so immediately I click on it, and this is moments after it happens, right? So TMZ is the only source. And, like, we're all kind of going back and forth, and we're we're obviously in disbelief first. Like, nobody is... Like, I'm, I'm not believing the story. I'm like, no way. I mean, he just tweeted last night uh, congratulating LeBron. There's just, I think that one of us even joked like, boy, he's taking LeBron passing him very hard. I mean, we, we just were in shock. And then, like, we started searching, and the next word was Fox News con- confirming and U.S. Weekly confirming, ESPN confirming. I was like, no way. And and guys, I'm I'm not gonna say I'm I'm not an emotional guy. I am. I'm like I'm one of these Renaissance guys who loves music and you know, loves great literature and movies and can be moved by those things to tears and but at the same time, uh in the funerals I've been to and moments where someone has passed, I, I'm not one to break down. And I'm literally sitting in this auditorium of all these parents, I mean, hundreds of people, and I lose it. Mm. I mean, I lost it. My wife runs over. She's like, what the heck just happened? And I'm like, Kobe was just killed. And she's like, what? And it's not like I'm best friends with him. We're colleagues and brothers, you know, fraternal brothers from the NBA. And But I have had, you know, a hundred plus encounters with him because we shared the same building and shared the same airport, and he and I are like the only two that lived down where we live, which is an hour south of L.A. In all these years, the last 20 years, everyone else lived 
you know, up, you know, to put it in Utah terms, like uh, the jazz and their broadcasters and their workers all lived in the Salt Lake area, but Kobe and I, so the equivalent of like whatever, Bowler and Donovan lived in Provo. You know what I mean? That's kind of the equivalent. We're like, we, we bonded on that and bonded on our, our language skills. We both spoke Italian and Spanish and, but I lost it. And it just, I don't know. It was so, and I was just with him three weeks ago. And I don't mean we sat together at a game, but we were both courtside at a game and I walked over and we chatted for like eight minutes before the game started. It was Lakers Mavericks. Mm. And I just, I, it was shocked. I was shocked, stunned and deeply saddened. And, you know, I was a wreck all day and it was just a dichotomy because I'm, in the midst of celebrating my kids performing in these great musicals and competitions. And my son was the lead in this cats production for their, their group. And they took the platinum award. They won the best overall performance of the whole thing. And so I'm experiencing the whole gamut of emotions in one day. It was really surreal. The, connection everyone feels to him is really unique uh, <clears throat> bill simmons said this is the saddest day in sports history and uh, i think we agree with that what was it about him that made us all connect to him in this unique way and mourn him uh, so intensely you loved him or you hated him i mean you, you you just did i grew up here in la so when i'm in high school imagine the lakers winning five titles right and magic is the messiah magic because the Lakers have a long history of losing before Magic. So this has to go back to our older listeners who, you know, the younger generation won't recall it uh, because the NBA was not on TV and the NBA is not even on TV when Magic is doing his magical things. It really isn't. I mean, guys, you, you two are too young to even understand this, but when I'm 14 or 15 and loving basketball, there's one game a week on Sunday at 1230, right in the middle of church usually, and one on Friday night at 1130 on tape delay. And that's it. Mm. There's no internet. There's no highlights other than your local you know, anchors, your sports anchors, who you know, could show you glimpses for their two and a half minutes of television at night. And that's it. You lived with that. But I guess the stories became larger. But this guy was the, the villain you, you love to hate. And he was also, if he was on your side, man, you loved him. You thought he could deliver anything. So if Magic was the Messiah, this guy's the second coming, right? He's, he's the second coming to Laker greatness. The first one brings five titles. He brings five more. And I think it's harder to do the second time. But at least geographically, like locally in Los Angeles, Kobe was beloved. You know, uh, I'd say a large portion of the Laker fan base is not the Showtime Hollywood, you know, front row seats. Their fan base is built by the upper bowls. And a lot of that fan base speaks Spanish. Uh, they're not of the higher income. And they loved him. And maybe it's because Kobe spoke Spanish and Italian. And maybe it's because, I don't know, there was something about him that, aside from the incredible skills and work ethic and, and listen, he, he, he had his ups and downs, right? He has the, the indiscretion and the trial in 03 that, you know, if you hated him already, you probably hated him more. And then of course he's the guy with, 
you know, ice in his veins who walked into arenas and can go from shooting air balls in the playoffs against the Jazz to years later breaking their hearts. <clears throat> Michael Smith, former BYU legend, longtime NBA analyst with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, it, it was emotional to watch his interactions with his daughter, Gianna. And Kobe uh, had four daughters, and it was clear that they were priority number one for him, his family. And I really enjoyed watching him take his mama mentality to being a father and a father figure. And uh, just, I appreciated that. And Jerem said earlier, I liked him more after he retired because he wasn't killing the jazz or killing your favorite team. But, but as great of a basketball player as he was, I liked what he was doing as a father in the public eye and for women's sports. So, I mean, what kind of legacy is he going to leave behind when you consider everything he was doing? I think it's pretty self-evident. Like, like the reaction, the reaction globally is, is telling, it's revealing. And, you know, this guy's not perfect. He was never perfect. And self-absorbed, yes. Psychotic in a self-interested way, yes. I don't mean that clinically, but I mean just obsessed with becoming great. And so as a player like that gives you what we determine his all, right, for 20 years. And the way he goes out is memorable with 60 against the Jazz in his final game and it's interesting, Bowler on our group text yesterday says, uh, we called his last game. I mean, they did. Um, but yet then to turn it off at the end of it all and be able to be so at peace with what he gave, I think is admirable. I think we look at that and we say, okay, we didn't like this guy for a lot of the time. I mean, I loved him because I grew up here. Imagine my, imagine my uh, secret conflict right <laughs> working for the Clippers but yet loving the Lakers because they were my team growing up and so I, I often would say that I rooted for the Lakers every single game except when they played the Clippers and they never played in the playoffs so the Clippers were usually out and then I could like truly show my colors and root for them the Lakers to win but it, it's it's admirable it's refreshing to see someone give it so much and when it was done say I'm out and then go embrace what's next and give it my all there. And I would say the next step has been, you know, business and artistic pursuit and first and foremost family. And so these images that we're all seeing of him and his daughter courtside, I just witnessed that. Three weeks ago, I'm looking across the court watching him teach her uh, at a game. And specifically, they were there to see Luka Doncic. And Kobe made sure Luka came over and said hello to his daughter. That was surreal to me three weeks ago. Here, Kobe, as great as he is, and let me put his greatness in perspective, guys, right? His first year, he averages seven, then 15, then 19. The next three years, and he's drafted as a 17-year-old, right? He's born in August of 78. He's drafted in June of 96. He's not 18 Crazy when he's drafted. It's unreal. And so those first three years, he's just, you know, he's just trying to figure it out. But the next three years, he wins titles. 2000-01-02, they win it all. The next six years, he is not only the best player in the NBA, in my opinion, he's so much better than everyone else. 
that one of the greatest travesties of his life is during that stretch, he wins one MVP, mm. only one. He's not only the best in the league during that time, he's so much, so by far the best, that it's sickening to me that he doesn't win. But he's not liked by the media. He's not fan-friendly. He's not adored like Steve Nash was. He's not fresh and new like Nowitzki was. And the media gets voter fatigue, right? Otherwise, you know, Michael Jordan would have won MVP every year. Apologies to Carl Malone. And LeBron <laughs> would win MVP every year. Apologies, you know, right, to the other guys who win them in those stretches. But during those six years, the media falls in love with the pace of the Phoenix Suns. And I love Nash to death and think he's brilliant for being less than physically dominant to do what he did and win an MVP was awesome. And the next year, his numbers are better. So they had to give it to him again. And in that stretch, you give a title or a MVP to Nowitzki because he was great for one year. But those six Yeah, and those six years, Kobe's so much better than everyone that it's... But anyway, I, I think it's great. Um, he wins an Oscar. Uh, gosh, four weeks ago, a new company I'm doing, we went to meet with his people in Malibu and pitched it to him. And so that's one of the reasons and one of the things I talked to him about at the game. I was like, hey, did your people tell you about my new company? And he goes, no, not yet. I'm going to get on them. I said, good. And I said, did, uh, I said have you picked up golf yet? He goes, Mike, he goes, first of all, I'm terrible. And I said, I can teach you to become great because you don't want to be terrible. And he says the following to me. He says, I don't have the time to become great at golf. There's too much life out there to live. That's three weeks ago, guys. Mm-hmm. That's his comment to me. I'm like, we live down here 10 minutes away. I'm like, I'll teach you how to play. He goes, no, I got too many things I still want to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just super sad. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, it's great to catch up with you. Uh, we appreciate the time, and uh, I know this is a really hard thing for you to process personally, but um, we uh, yeah, collectively offer you our thanks to help us as we try and process the loss of Kobe Bryant as well. I appreciate being on, guys. You guys do a great job. Go Cougs. Go Jazz. You got it. Thanks. Thanks, Michael Smith on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, you know why we show how. Wow. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. We are premiering and debuting Top 5 Tuesday. This is a new thing. Listen. Monday's happen. You're back at work. You're like, you know what? You get to Tuesday. You're like, okay, the week's starting to speed up. We're going to give you top five Tuesday. Yeah, you need a top five on Tuesday. Every Tuesday until the rapture. That's our promise. Or your money back from Ben Bagley. <laughs> Is this Ben's idea? Yeah, it's Ben's okay. idea. It's a good uh, idea. We're going to count it down from five down. Yes. Top yes. five Tuesday presented by Delta Airlines. Keep climbing. It's men's hoop centric from the two games last week, Pacific and San Francisco. We start with number five. Yoli Child splits the defenders find Dalton Nixon for a two-hand slam against San Francisco. Childs back in the game. Childs gets a nice seal yes. and hand off to Dalton Nixon. Drive and dunk. Drew the defense, left Nixon open. Dalton scores it. 
Mark Durant's reaction. Mm. Yes! <laughs> I think he doubted the pass for a second. Dalton Nixon had seven points. That was a great pass. And Dalton moves great without the ball. That's why he gets lots of good shots. He, yes. he understands he, how to move without the ball. Play a ton in the second half, I want to say, against San Francisco. Yeah, which hurts because I think he brings a toughness in the defense to the to this team. So, Okay, let's go with number four. Jake Toulson drains a deep three. And I mean deep before halftime against the USF Dons. BYU should go two for one here. 45 seconds to go until halftime. Long three, Toulson. Oh, what a big shot! A three Jake for one. Toulson! Oh, a sense of the moment. They go two for one and a three-pointer on the two for one. Seven-point lead. Toulson finished with 17 points. Um, we're going to have a little bit more from Jake Toulson coming up, but he seems to have really found his stroke this last week, and they're going to need that as BYU's on a stretch where they have a bunch of must-win games. Yeah, really important games coming up. Number three, Yoli Childs with a hammer dunk after a full-court pass from Jake Toulson against Pacific. And that's what kept things close in the first half. The runner for Moore, back rim as the shot clock expires. No, and the rebound to Toulson. Well, leaking is Childs, and he hammers it home on the deep throw by Jake. Yoli Childs with 23. And he would finish with 26 points and 9 rebounds coming off of that compound dislocated finger. Uh, Jake Toulson might be at spring ball uh, debuting as quarterback. That was a perfect deep ball with touch (laughs) over the linebacker. And I think Jake could play quarterback as long as Yoli comes and plays tight end. That would be unbelievable. (laughs) Oh, he would be ridiculous in that position. So... (laughs) Number two, T.J. Hawes with an acrobatic layup right from a horse game, it looked like to me, to bring the Cougs within two points late against San Francisco. Go up high, a steal, Hawes. Hawes breaking it away. Hawes to the rim, takes contact, reverse lay and good. There could have been a foul there. What a shot. But what a scooping reverse lay and score by T.J. If that could have been an and one, it would have been even been better. But it was good to change like, the game there. It's one of the ones where you say, listen, I'm going to go under the rim and I'm going to rock the baby. And then I'm going to spin it off the glass with sideways yes. spin, and it's going to go in. Nothing but what, net. right-handed, right? Yeah, Not left-handed? Was, it was crazy. Man. So uh, it was a big weekend for TJ. He set the record for the most consecutive games played or started at 123. He passes my good friend Jeff Chapman. Um, he also moved up to 10th all-time in scoring and 9th in steals. And I remember when Jeff Amazing. finished that run, I thought, nobody's going to touch that record. Mm. And here TJ Hawes goes beyond Jeff Chapman, has a chance to extend it big time in consecutive game started 20 plus years later and tj's wife lauren expecting best of luck to them we'll see if it's this week they're two we broke the record now the baby's more important but let's just hope yeah we wanted to extend that record and the top play on this debut of top five tuesday number one spot jake tilson going off from three in the second half against pacific 31 you are you missing a three from barcelo toolson for three and that's good straight away jake Jake will drive, trip, step back, shoot a three, and get it to go! Into another three. Again! Down the lane, step back again. Again! Oh, wow! AB to the paint, pulls it out. Jake for three. He did it again! Jake, the make, yet again! What a stretch. 14 points of the 21-0 run for BYU. Six of eight from three. Five in the second half. Jake Toulson rounds out the finish of top five Tuesday. He was phenomenal last week. It's time for Big Deal, No Deal, presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Big Deal, No Deal. All right, joining us on the program, we head into the control room, the voice, as some people like to call him, Ben Bagley joining us for Big Deal, No Deal. 
I like the shirt, by the way. Thank you. Yes, Support very, Australia. Yes. It's, oh, yeah. I yeah, like that. Supporting yeah. Australia, yes, through the Utah Jazz. It's the jazz colors. Yes. I get it. Yeah, I get yeah. the whole thing now. So, so Ben, big deal, no deal. Give us number one. Well, I just saw a tweet about this. Uh, BYU Stanford extending their series through 2035. Kalani Sataki and myself will be 60 years old at the time, so big deal, no deal. BYU football scheduling games for me being 60 in 2035. <laughs> Blaine, you take this one first. I'm, I'm going to say big deal because it because it's Stanford. It's yes. a big deal, but big deal that you it, it takes that much foresight to put scheduling together. It's just amazing to me. Um, I will be 70 years old, so I don't know that I'll be calling that one. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to tell anybody how old I'm going to be in 2035. Uh, I do think it's a big deal for two reasons. Uh, I think it's a big deal, number one, because you're able to schedule these and that you do have some games down the road. Uh, I also think it's a big deal because we'll still be playing football, apparently, in 2035, if you know what I mean. There you go. So it's, it's just comforting to know that in 2035, hey, things will still fo- be okay. Football is going to be around <laughs> for eternity. It's a celestial game. I like it. I like the way you're thinking. Except for nobody wins and nobody loses and nobody gets hurt. So it's every game ends in a tie, like the end of a regular season yep. NFL. And nobody gets hurt. Okay. All right, number two. <laughs> Big deal, no deal. Gavin Baxter not ruling out a return for BYU hoops this season. I'll take this one first. I, I think it is a big deal because if there's a chance he can play, you're adding you're adding a major talent to this roster. It could also be a big deal, though, just for the fact that, that you're risking getting hurt because it's like a four to six month issue with the torn labrum and taking contact. Like th- this is this is definitely one that I'll be paying very close attention to to see if ultimately he makes that decision. But, I mean, it's a, it's a big deal either way uh, because if he comes back and can play, this, this, Gavin is fantastic. Adding him to this talent is, is, would be remarkable. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say big deal as well. Big deal and even bigger decision that, that they have to make. Do you use this whole year of eligibility to help this team down the stretch. And maybe what he's feeling is, first of all, this team has unbelievable chemistry, and he's part of that because he practices every day. And he probably just wants to be part. He feels like this team's got a chance to make a run. In the NCAA tournament, they got to take care of business the rest of the season. But I'm telling you, if he comes back, it changes the way BYU can play defense. And it's a a big deal, but it's an even bigger decision. All right, last one, number three, Ben. Last one, Jimmer Fredette being named a Greek League All-Star. I'm going to say big deal, and and here's the reason. No matter where Jimmer goes, he gets a following. Yes, and so he can, he can be in China, he can be in Greece. It doesn't matter the way he plays, the aura about him that's just all positive. No matter where he goes, he's beloved by fans, and here he is, you know, and he's he's an all star in Greece. He's playing well, and the fans are loving him just like everywhere else he's always been. Look, you know how I feel about one Jimmer Fredette. This is why it's a big deal. Everything about Jimmer is a big deal. Yes, big deal. And that's Big Deal, No Deal, presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. And because you did not hear the name Jerem Jordan, it is a pleasure. I can say that. I couldn't say that if Jerem were here. It is a pleasure to have our next guest. Dennis Pitta now joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline. Dennis, thanks for joining us. How are you today, my friend? 
What's going on, guys? I like this group here. <laughs> good energy in, in the studio. It is the way it should be. With with the three of us, this thing is all good karma. Now that you know, with Jerem not here, because I know you and Jerem, that whole deal, you know. So yeah, no, Jerem and I are on very poor terms, but <laughs> it's great to hear two just refreshing, intelligent voices behind the mic. <laughs> Well, we, we appreciate that, and we're glad that we could give you a stress-free interview that you don't have to worry about some of that, uh, that nonsense that goes on with Jerem. Uh, let's, yeah, let's, let's ask you this. Obviously, it's Super Bowl week. This is a fun week for everybody, fans, people that are involved in the game itself, the NFL in general. It's just a fun week. Explain what Super Bowl week is like, especially as somebody that's played in this, that's experienced, the, the media that surrounds it, the preparation. What's this week like? Well, I'm glad you can look at it and, and say it's a fun week because <laughs> as a player, I don't think the word I would use is fun. Um, I think I would use stressful. Uh, I would use, um, you know, anxious, um, nervous, I think. When you get to this week in particular, now last week was different for players. They were still in Kansas City or San Francisco uh, going through their normal routine of practice. Uh, the media was, was starting to build, but, but nothing like when they arrived into Miami for this week. Um, and, and it feels coming off a huge AFC or NFC championship win. The, the energy in the building is going crazy. I mean, it's a great week of practice, and you're excited. And then you get to the host city. And you see the media hoopla. I mean, it's, it's insane. You have your Tuesday big media day, and you're sitting up on these podiums, and there's just millions of, of reporters. And, I mean, you're being asked questions from guys on the Food Network, uh, you know, guys from uh, the Spanish Network down in, in Mexico or whatever it may be. I, I probably totally butchered that um, for, for the Spanish Networks. But you, you have so many different media outlets. I mean, people that don't even have anything to do with football or sports in general are there asking you questions. I was getting questions about um, how to tie um, a bowline knot because they knew I was an Eagle Scout. And I was asked to, you know, from the food network, what's my favorite food to make or whatever it may be. There's just so many crazy questions and, and just, it's a, it's just a media hoopla is I guess the best way to describe it. So, once you get there and all the craziness, you've just been uh, whisked from one end to the next, for doing interviews, trying to get to practice, trying to focus a little bit on the game. It's just a very stressful uh, week of preparation, in my opinion, because you also have to look at what's upcoming. You have this massive game, the biggest game on the biggest stage you'll ever play. And to say that you're not nervous and a little bit stressed out about not playing your best in that game would be a lie. And so... Um, I appreciate the fact that you can say it's a lot of fun, though, Jason. I think um, <laughs> I, I think I think as a player, it would be nice to to have that approach. It's but, you know what, Dennis, it's, though, I'm gonna I'll be honest with you. This year, there is a there is a lot more stress involved for me because I'm from, I'm originally from Kansas City, so I am a Chiefs fan. I have never watched a Super Bowl with my team in it, so the stress level for this season has been ramped up significantly. Yeah, and listen, it's a long season, and the last thing, especially as a player, you want to do is play four, five, six extra weeks, really, uh, once you enter the postseason, and get to the Super Bowl and lose. There's literally nothing worse, because now you, you beat yourself up for that long, and you go to the Super Bowl, and you have nothing to show for it. 
And everybody says, oh, you want a conference championship. Guess what? That literally means nothing. Yep. And it's all about the Super Bowl. And so, fortunately, the one Super Bowl I went to, we won. And so I didn't have to worry about uh, getting to that game and losing and, and all that goes into that. So I got to celebrate. It was all worth it. Uh, you went through all the stress and the, and the physical pain and everything to get to that point, and, and it was all worth it. So uh, I'm fortunate to be on that end. But listen, there's a whole other team that there's going to be some BYU player, someone affiliated with BYU in this game that's going to go home a loser, and that's that's the unfortunate part about this game. You work so hard. You do everything right to this point. You might play your best game of the season, and, and you might walk away a loser. And so that's a tough pill to swallow, and that's part of the stress that goes into it because the last thing you want to do in this game is walk away a loser. Dennis, I, you know, I was all excited about that, but I'm nervous now. Like, you you just, you just made me think that this whole thing is miserable. And I thought, I'm trying to inject some reality some, into I know. Your, your, your fandom here. Because wow. You have to understand what the players and the coaches and everybody around the organization is going through. I mean, it's, there's a lot. And then you have to deal with family and their travel and trying to take care of them. And you, you get this whole welcome pack, and it's got all the tickets and everything for your family for all the different events. I completely forgot to give that to my wife. I lost it. I didn't know where it was. So she had a, a stressful time trying to get, you know, contact all the Ravens people to try and get where she needed to be without any tickets. I mean, it was it was a mess. And, and, and that's really what the week is for players. It's a little bit of a mess. And you don't, you don't want to think about it like that because, oh, it's the Super Bowl. It's this great event. But behind the scenes, it's, it's a tough week. And when it's all said and done, you're just so happy sitting there a Super Bowl champion uh, when all is said and done. Well, I, I hope. So, so, Dennis, my dad always used to tell me growing up, whenever you're in a big situation, take time to step back and enjoy it for just a moment, even if it's only for a few seconds. And we were playing Michigan for a national championship, and I remembered those words while I was waiting for a play to come in from the sideline. And I stepped back, and I spun around, and I looked, and I thought, okay, this is really cool. And then I had to get back to work. So I could enjoy it for 10 seconds. Please tell me there was some time in that game that you actually got to say, okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's really good advice. And, I, and I, I think I wish I had maybe heard that or had that in the back of my mind throughout the week. Um, but I, I think I did. You, sit, you come out in pregame and – you want the as a football player and, and really as a coach and organization, you want everything to feel the same. You don't want players to think, "Oh my gosh, this is such a bigger moment than I'm used to," because then you start to play outside of yourself and try to press a little bit and, and do things that are going to potentially cause problems on the field. And so you want it to feel like the normal routine and be the same, and just you have to do your job. You get out there for warmups, and it's unlike any game. I mean, the NFL is a big deal, right? Game in and game out every week. You get to the Super Bowl, and you're out there in warm-ups, and you're just looking around at the sideline, and you're, you just see celebrity after celebrity after celebrity just lining the sideline, which is, you know, you'll see a couple celebrities at your game here and there, but it's just, you realize how big of a deal this game is. And it, it is cool, though. You sit and you kind of look around, and you're like, man, this is like the pinnacle of, your career, and then you realize, oh shoot, I don't want to drop a touchdown pass in this game and be, and be the go and, and the scapegoat and, and lose this game for my team, and, and that kind of sets in too. And so there's just a lot on your mind going into that game. And uh, but listen, once, once the whistle blows and you start hitting and, and the game is going, you get in that same rhythm and zone, and that's kind of all blocked out. And it's just a football game at that point. Dennis, and so um, I, I look back at that game. And it's just such a cool thing to look back at and say, man, I was a part of that. 
the Super Bowl, you just remember everything, and you're looking at it like, oh man, that was that was really cool. And, and I think it takes being done with it and looking back to really appreciate what you did, what you accomplished, and what you were a part of. Dennis, you mentioned that somebody affiliated with BYU is going to lose the Super Bowl, but that also means somebody related or you know with BYU is going to win a Super Bowl. Just your thoughts overall on, on Fred Warner and Daniel Sorensen and what they've done this year, as well as Andy Reid, and then, and then who you got winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, so, I, I mean, it, yeah, the, the cool thing is somebody will, will win that game, and the, the tough part is somebody will lose. And so, you know, you look at both teams, I think these are the two best teams in the NFL. Now, now I, that's a tough statement for me because my Ravens were, looked unbeatable all year. Uh, but they just didn't have that playoff experience. They didn't play well in, in, in um, that big game and just didn't – I felt like they pressed a little bit and panicked a little bit in their playoff game and got out of what they do. And so that being said, I think these are the two most deserving teams to be in the Super Bowl. So I love this matchup. Uh, you look at what Fred Warner and that 49ers defense brings to the table. I, I mean, that's been the best defense in the NFL consistently through the regular season through the postseason, and a huge part of what they do is because of Fred. And Fred has led that team in tackles by a wide margin now, I think, for the second or third consecutive year. Uh, you look at his athletic ability, you can't lead your team in tackles. And really, he should be amongst the NFL leaders. He's not. He's top 20, but he should be amongst the NFL leaders in tackles. But that defense just doesn't give teams a lot of plays and a lot of possessions. And so he doesn't have as many opportunities to make tackles. But to lead that defense by a big margin in tackle says a lot about his ability. And you can't just be a good athlete to lead your team in tackles. You have to be instinctual. You have to have a, um, a nose for the football, have, have that savvy and that ability to, to just know where the ball is going at all times. And so he's got that. And he's really a cornerstone for that defense and one of their young pillars moving forward. And so I, I, I'm so excited about his career. He's going to get – paid handsomely and rewarded handsomely there in, in, in San Francisco at some point and uh, just has an incredibly bright, bright future. And so you look on the other side and it's, it's Andy Reid, which I think we're all secretly pulling for Andy Reid, whether you're a Kansas City fan or not. And, uh, you know, he, he's a Hall of Fame coach, in my opinion, whether he wins this game or not. I mean, he's just done too much throughout his coaching career and been too successful to say otherwise. Uh, but this would just it would be the icing on the cake for him, for fans, and vindication that he is, in in my opinion, and in most people's opinions, um, one of the greatest coaches to ever coach in the NFL. And so uh, I'll be pulling for him this week. So it's, now I've got friends on on the on the 49ers, and this is this is tough for me. I love both teams, but I'm pulling for Kansas City this week. And and I didn't mention Dan Sorensen, Dirty Dan, I guess they call him, but um, he's just the epitome of. Uh, you know, a guy that worked his way to where he is. And he started as just simply a special teams player. And if you're willing to just do the dirty work as a special teams player, you'll get an opportunity in that league. And he understood that. And, and he worked hard at that phase. And it's open doors for him now on defense. And really, he's had a great career and a promising future because of his ability to just do the little things and, and provide effort and consistency uh, on special teams that has really gave him a great opportunity. And so, I, you know, I, I don't really have a big dog in this fight, but I, I'm going to be with you, Jason. I'm going to go with Kansas City. I just think they're too potent on offense, and uh, 
I'm pulling for Andy Reid to get this one done. All right, man, I appreciate it. Glad to hear you're on my side. Dennis, thank you so much for taking a few minutes. Great insight. And uh, and I'm sure that when Jerem's gone, we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, thanks, Dennis. Good to have you, man. Yeah, next time he's gone. Thanks for the time, guys. I just appreciate you making This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. And Tom Holm will now join us in studio uh, moments after the announcement of the ESPN deal. All right, Tom. Uh, first of all, looking great in that uh, suit jacket the dapper tie. Suit. Cougar blue. This is a big day. This is a big day, obviously. We just broke the news uh, about the new schedule. Um, first of all, what, what is your when you first saw it come to fruition and you signed the contract and it was all done, what, what went through your mind? Hallelujah. It's been a long time. I, I really knew that this was going to be completed and finished, and we've been talking with ESPN for a number of years. It's great to have a relationship with them to where you know things are good. It took a long time to get completed because uh, they were busy, we were busy, uh, our, but we were always in conversation. We were always in communication, and Sometimes I'd say, hey, where are we on this thing? Are we done? And they'd go, oh, sorry. And then they'd come back and say, hey, you guys all right with this? We gave you this thing. Um, in the end, it's what we wanted. It's really good, and we're real happy about it. Was there any question that you'd stay with ESPN, or did you look around to see what else was available? No, we, we knew we would be with ESPN. That, that was just, they're, the, they're a great partner to us. We have had a great relationship with them for a long time. We work so well with them. We, I can't get into the details, but we trade cameras. and It's amazing what BYU TV, BYU Broadcasting does with ESPN. It's just like fits like a hand in a glove. And they've been go so good to us for so many years. It would, be, it would take something crazy for that to change. Is it? I know you're not going to say the number, but is it equal to or more than money per home game than you got before? More. It's more. Yes. Tom Homo with us on BYU Sports Nation. You look at ABC, ESPN, ESPN two. There will be three games broadcasted in Provo on those networks. Uh, ESPNU is an option. Those other bigger networks are also an option if the game merits it. Where does ESPN Plus factor into this for BYU? I think ESPN Plus is just available to ESPNs fan base. I mean, I get on ESPN Plus sometimes to look at a game that I'm interested in that's somewhere back east or down south or another conference. So it's a great uh, medium for people to watch games, but our games aren't going to be solely on ESPN3, or excuse me, ESPN Plus. And perhaps on the road, and we should explain that. So at Toledo, BYU has nothing to do with where that game <laughs> is broadcast, sure. right? <laughs> Flow football, UMass, right? It can get weird sometimes. What was different in this negotiation and contract than when you first did it? And did you learn anything from the first contract into this? Well, the world of college athletics is changing at a rapid pace. I think the world of, co- of broadcasting, as you well, very well know, is changing. You're looking at things that are linear, which is on TV that we traditionally know it, to being on our um, tablets or our telephones or on our computer. And I, I can't tell you how many times now I'm watching in front of my computer BYU – um, a sport versus Pacific or LMU, and it's a great broadcast. It's on the computer. It's, we didn't do that five, ten years ago. The big question was, are we going to go off TV and are we going to watch things on Google or Yahoo or Hulu or whatever it might Netflix be? Netflix was thrown Netflix in Netflix yeah, yeah. and all those things. 
what I've learned from this is our fans across the country, including BYU, they love live TV. Now, the simulcast or broadcast onto your, your internet, through the internet, makes it so convenient. It's amazing for me to be different places across the country. And I go, hey, I got to, well, they, what are you watching? I'm watching BYU. What are you watching it on? Oh, the BYU TV app. And they're like, what? Thanks for what that are plug, you Tom. talking about? <laughs> it's real. I know. And I show it to them, and they're like, that's in HD. I'm like, mm-hmm, that's right. And, and we've been able that way to – we've had trouble getting on satellites, but it doesn't matter in 2020. It just doesn't matter. Look, it, I mean, it really doesn't take much to figure out where BYU sports are. You can get them all the time, and if it's a home game, it's going to be super great. If it's a road game, you're at the mercy of whoever you're playing. But most schools, most universities now, take it pretty seriously. They need to, just like us, to make it right for their fans. We've talked in the past about how tricky the bowl game contracts can be, and um, it, it, uh, it goes without saying you've got to work through a lot of really, really intricate details to make that happen. BYU signs a three-year contract with the Independence Bowl, and then there are three years where you'll be in a bowl game. You just don't know which one it is yet. So how did you come to an agreement that that was the approach that you wanted to go forward with bowl games? I think the bowl game contract was a lot more trickier. Not necessarily the contract, but just how are we going to do this? And the reason being that all the conferences, P5, as well as Group of Five, they're all affiliated with bowls now. So you can take any group of five conference and look and they have their own bowl lineup and that takes a lot of the bowl games away so there's not a lot like there used to be that are kind of open or quote unquote independent where you can get into the game they can go pick them and because that's the way it's turned to it used to be a time where the bowls were they had their they just go out and it was was kind of like open market it was like the the economy, here's how you go. Here's how the market works. You go get the best teams that you can get. But they've come to this conclusion that it works better for everybody to have it all worked out ahead of time. So you have the, the Big Ten number six against the ACC team number seven. It's hard to believe that that's the case, but that takes up a lot of bowls. So we had an opportunity to work this out with ESPN. And we, it, was, it was kind of fun for me this year. There's about, I'd say about four different groups that called me up and said, hey, we want to start a bowl, and we want BYU to be the anchor. You'll be in it every year. Mm, I don't think that was really what we wanted to do. It wouldn't have been great for our fans. Well, when the Independence Bowl came along, it was nice to be able to say, hey, we can get into that bowl. We know we're going to be in that bowl that year if we're bowl eligible, and they do too. And it was a great relationship for, to forge. But there's a way with the Cheez-It Bowl where now we can get to Arizona on a given year, and Independence Bowl was fine with that, and we can get to the Cheez-It Bowl with the ESPN games in a given time. So one year that and one year that. So you look at the Independence, and one of the games would be against a Pac-12 opponent, and two of the games would be against Conference USA. Uh, We all know how many fans we have down in the South. They love their football. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I think it's going to be, considering all the situations, a really good opportunity to have some fun in bowl season. Uh, So it's a seven-year deal. Six bowl games were mentioned. Is 2026 kind of open right now? Yeah. Is that It it was something we did with uh, the the six-year cycle now of bowl games is when ESPN will – that's their cycle. 
And that's, that's six years. They'll restart another gotcha. one. Gotcha. So we, we kind of match up with them. It was good for them. And, you know, in this situation, what was good for them in the ball games was really good for us. <laughs> oh, what a great day on BYU Sports Nation and across BYU Sports Nation, the announcement of the ESPN deal through 2026. Uh, we'd like you to stick around for a sure. little while longer. Is that okay? Sure. we got a lot to talk to you about. In fact, we could have done the whole show with you, I think. We're just doing two <laughs> seconds. But. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. BYU football has announced a four-game extension with Stanford. Now, there was already four games scheduled. They've added four games to that. The Cougars and Cardinals were previously scheduled to play November 28, 2020 in Palo Alto and then again at Stanford in 2022. The two games in Provo are set for 2025 and 2029. Those are the games that were already set. The extension now has these four games added to it. November 28th, 2026 at Stanford. November 25th, 2028 at Stanford. And then the two games back in Provo, August 30th, 2031, and, uh, and September 1st, 2035 in Provo. So before we get into some a lot of the specific, just your overall reaction to BYU versus Stanford going from a four-game series to an eight-game series. I love it. And, and I think that Stanford has a lot in common with BYU. They both have very unique recruiting challenges. Stanford, you know, they've had to go up for very special academic-type athlete to get him in there. Their standards are very, very high. And BYU, with the honor code and the standards and the academics here um, – they, they have to be very selective with who they bring in. And so with that, I love this. Um, the, the other thing I like is is that Stanford, they're a good business partner. Right. You know, Tom Homo um, was there uh, b- back in the day, was, was, did some coaching back there. Um, he's got ties to Bill Walsh, who was a, was a coach there and has all kinds of ties at Stanford. And, um, and so this is a good relationship. What I like is that Stanford – think about next year, we'll play BYU late in the season. Yeah. It, it's difficult to schedule games at the end of the season, especially in the month of November, um, when, when you're an independent. Stanford, you notice four of those games are late season games. Yep. A quality opponent, late season, thanks to Stanford for that. Yeah, that, that's the thing that stands out to me. I, I'm with you. I love the fact that you're continuing a relationship with the team in the Pac-12. That can do nothing but be positive for you, however you want to interpret that down the road. But that, that is a positive thing that BYU and teams in the Pac-12 are able to make these contract uh, agreements. That, that is a good thing. Um, but I, I'm with you. Basically, with the four games that BYU added, you're adding two last games of the season and two first games of the season. That, that's, now, BYU's not had problem getting games at the beginning of the season with these high-profile teams. But the fact that you're adding late November games against teams that matter is a big deal. You have no idea where Stanford's going to be at that point. T- typically, Stanford is, is very good. And so the fact that you could possibly get Stanford, a top 25 team, as one of your final games of a season four times is impressive. Yeah, and, and think about it. This It also sets a precedent where when you're negotiating with other teams and they go, well, we just can't play late in the season, you go, well, why not? Why is Stanford able to do it? Stanford's a, a legit top program. They were down a little bit last year, but how many Rose Bowls have they been to right. in the last decade? This is a perennially ranked football team, very well respected. They can figure it out. Why can't you figure it out, USC right. or 
or whoever it might be, Cal. Um, and I like that the programs themselves are built similarly, the overall sports programs. Stanford, clearly the top overall sports program when you include Olympic sports and all that in the country by a mile. They, they, they win the Director's Cup every single year. BYU also puts a great emphasis on well-rounded overall sports programs. Th- these, these two institutions from the athletic perspective have a lot in common, and I love that they're partnering up for a long-term agreement. I, I think it's great, and it's going to cause a little bit of problem in my house. I was going to say, you, you have you – have- a very interesting dynamic with both schools. Yeah, we're, we're huge Stanford fans, and we're Stanford fans because my son-in-law, Dallas Lloyd, was a starter at free safety for Stanford for his junior and Caesar, senior season. Great years. You know, we got to go watch him play in the Rose Bowl as, with his buddies Christian McCaffrey and that whole group, right? Yeah. And so we, we've got a soft spot in our heart for Stanford. Uh, and, and Gavin's coaching at BYU right now, and so if Gavin were con- to continue to coach, so Gavin's going to be there next year. I'm really anxious to know what Dallas going to do next year. When they play at the end of the season, when Gavin's on the sidelines for BYU and all of his boys are out there for Stanford, who's, who's he going to root for? Look, I can tell you with 100% certainty, I have no issues. I'm all BYU all the time, so I don't want Stanford to win I did, any of the I games. didn't say that I was. I just said that I have people in my family, right? I understand, yeah. You've got, when a family's involved, it's a completely different dynamic. Without question. But, but great to see that a four-game series with Stanford is now an eight-game series uh, against the Cardinals. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. All right, Jerem, let's start with 2020 vision. We've known the basic makeup of the 2020 BYU football schedule for some time now. But the BYU Athletic Department makes it official as of yesterday. Four Power 5 opponents to open the season. Six Power 5 foes overall. A nice home slate that includes Michigan State and Missouri. And yes, another very challenging schedule overall. Jerem, what do you like about the schedule and maybe not so much like about the 2020 football schedule? I like winning more than anything else, so I'm not a huge fan of it. And here's why. <clears throat> it's just too hard. I've said this a lot. Six power fives. You open with four, three or four on the road. BYU has chosen that this is going to be the way they schedule. Now, that's fine. If you look at the schedule and you say, you know what? I just want to be like entertained game to game. I'm not really worried about the end result as much. Then I can see how you love the schedule. Like, look. I look at the schedule and I go, oh, those are some really good games. There are too many. That's the issue. There are too many good games. These are quality opponents, teams that when BYU scheduled them, they were really good. And now they're not as good, and they were bad when BYU scheduled them, and now they're good. Michigan State is not as good as they used to be, right? Minnesota is way better, way better than uh, when BYU scheduled this, right? Missouri uh, has some NCAA sanctions. They didn't go to a bowl game. That's a winnable game at home. So it's interesting. I I look at a few things. There's only one gimme game on the schedule, by the way. Northern Alabama, North Alabama. Live on BYU TV. Coming up this fall. That's unofficial, but we all know it's pretty official. Uh, opening the season on a Thursday against Utah. Awesome. Minnesota's intriguing. Now that they're good, you could argue that's the best team on the schedule. We'll see how they rebound. Michigan State and Missouri. That's sweet. Renewing a series with Arizona State's awesome. I know you, you and I were teenagers when BYU played Arizona State. Those are some fun games. Uh, big fan base, right, in the Valley there. Mm. Three compelling games in November is interesting. Best November since 2013 when BYU played at Wisconsin and at Notre Dame. It's nice to be able to play uh, Boise State, San Diego State, and Stanford. And 2020 will be different than 2019, but it's interesting to see kind of how it shaked out. 
three ranked teams in Utah, Minnesota, and Boise State. Four teams that won uh, 10 plus, if you had San Diego State. And then this one, the winnability of the rest of the schedule based on 2019, which won't be what 2020 is, but let's talk about it. And it's our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Seven of BYU's 2020 opponents won seven or fewer games. Okay. The teams kind of on BYU's uh-huh. level, right? All right? So I still think BYU's in the seven-ish win range on this schedule. Six or seven, I hope not five. But uh, it's a, certainly a tough schedule again. Yeah, the bowl game every week feeling with this schedule lined up the way it is kind of continues. It's fun. Like you said, games are very challenging, and the week-to-week is a fun conversation because it's, in a lot of cases, especially in 2019, BYU's never played this team, and this is a new challenge, and the Cougars were going to Tennessee, and they're going to Toledo and South Florida. These are, these are fun, but winning is the most fun, right? Yes. Win- the issue for me is BYU lost to Toledo, South Florida, San Diego State, and Hawaii, and still won seven games, Jerem. It wasn't the Power 5 opponents. It wasn't the marquee matchups. I feel like BYU gets up for the marquee matchups. So I like that there are six Power 5 teams because I think that BYU will play their best football against those Power 5 teams and Boise State. And some of their worst football. The games that really concern me are the ones that BYU is supposed to win. So which one is BYU going to lose that they were supposed to win? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> can, can they avoid that? It's the same conversation as BYU basketball dropping a non-Saint Zaga game. Like, which game is BYU football going to lose to a team that what they probably should beat? Oh, Houston? Northern Illinois? Yeah, is, is it at Northern Illinois? Is it Utah Houston? State? Is Does, it, I mean, Utah State's not is it San Love. Diego State and home? I don't think it will be, but one of those games. If BYU can figure out those games, Jerem, then we're talking about a team that wins at least eight games every season. At least. Yeah. They and, will play their best football. And eight gets old. It does. Against... Michigan State and Arizona State and Minnesota and who knows what's going what's to happen against well, Utah. Well, they'll play their worst football in a couple of games and their best in some others. Like, BYU played terribly against Utah. Okay, the that inconsistency is what is most troubling. If BYU can figure out a way to beat some of these seven teams that finished 2019 with seven wins or fewer. And a couple of those, by the way, like Missouri and Stanford, right? Stanford was bad last year. I do like the balance of the 2020 schedule compared to 2019. Like, the back end is more right. loaded. It's, it's a more compelling November. There's no UMass sitting there where we're like, ugh. No, BYU's Whatever. got Boise State, San Diego State, and Stanford all in November. I like that. Is that good or bad given the injury history of BYU out of September? I like, I, mean? the, did, I like the balance BYU of it. BYU needed a crappy November to get to seven wins. They were, sitting, they were sitting at, what, three or four? At yeah, point? unfortunately, BYU had a crappy November this year and already had seven wins and then sputtered out. They yeah. were, no, 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 they needed to get to seven with the crappy November. That's what I'm saying. If BYU had had this November last year, they wouldn't have gone to a bowl game because that losing playing San Diego State and Boise State and Stanford in November would have been death. BYU was able to play Idaho, the FCS team, and, and UMass, and... There was yeah, another what cupcake. Is, what I is can't San Diego State Liberty this year? It's in ish. Provo, though. Yeah. It's in Provo, so that's different. Um, but at Stanford to close out the season, yeah, that's rough. Nobody prefers playing four straight Power 5 opponents to open up. Like, and if you do, you're crazy. I'm really done with that. What college why, football program in America prefers that? Why? BYU. BYU clearly does. They're doing it multiple seasons in a row. I think Kalani Satake will have been like the only guy in the country to have done this three times now. Okay. 2016. 
I will, I will say this. I will say this. BYU will win more games next season than they did in 2019. They will win eight or more games. If they win eight plus, sweet. They will I win just, eight games. It's relatively good. It's not actually good. No, they're going to win eight gro- games. It's growth, but it's not the growth we want, which is be relevant. Be someone that the nation talks about. Not for individual games, but for who you are the whole season. Look, I don't think anyone is going to argue that having Yoli Childs back on the floor for BYU basketball has not been tremendous and that he's not made a tremendous impact on the game. And it's not just what he can do offensively, but what the defense, ha- how the defense has to play when he's on the floor. What's great for BYU is that they have other players that are just as impactful. So, Blaine, which player not named Yoli is the most impactful for this BYU basketball team? So this is a hard question for me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with TJ Hawes as my number one pick, but I'm, I'm going to have a one A and a one B because I would go with Jake Tulson right after that. But but let me tell you why I think TJ Hawes, and, and that's because every time I do a basketball game, we go to shoot around for the other team and we meet with the coaching staff, and without question, when I say keys to the game, every single coach starts with, well, we've got to figure out a way to stay in front of T.J. Haas. He just kills us. It's really difficult to stay in front of him. He, he gets by your first line of defense. He gets into the interior of your defense. He makes such good decisions. Everything on that offense runs through him. He's an extension of the coach. We've got to figure out a way to stay in front of him. So to me, if every opposing coach is starting with their keys to the game with how do we stay in front of that guy, to me he's the second most impactful player. You have to build your defense around how you're going to contain him and either keep him from scoring or keep him from distributing the ball and getting 10-plus assists. Look, I agree with you. I think it really does boil down to TJ and Jake Toulson. And, and in all honesty, you probably can't go wrong with either one. Ultimately, I'm going to go with Jake Toulson. And a, a lot of it is just because of his ability to shoot the ball. Because he can shoot the ball so effectively, and I'm going to go over his numbers in a second, defenses have to devote way way more attention probably than they want to knowing that they have a guy like Yoli down in the post. So the, the defense's attention for Jake Toulson is immense, and it helps free other guys up. And it's not just guys around the perimeter. It free, frees Yoli up. It frees Dalton up when he's, down, when he's there. Colby Lee it frees everybody up on the floor because there's so much attention being paid to Jake Toulson because he can shoot the basketball. He's second in scoring on the team at 16 points per game. He's shooting 47% from the field and 47% from three. Basically, what that's telling you is his percentage from beyond the three-point line is the same as his layups. You know what I mean? Like, like a layup's a gimme, and he's shooting his threes at the same clip. You know what? It's unbelievable that he's 47% from both the floor and from three. That is consistency right there. Not to mention his ability to rebound and then assist his teammates. When Toulson plays well and specifically shoots the ball well— BYU is usually the winning team. That's why ultimately I go with Jake Toulson, just because of the threat. And we saw it in in the game at Pacific where he went on that mini 14-0 run himself. He He was fantastic. His ability to shoot, I think, is what sets him apart. Well, I'll tell you what. He's really upped his shooting in the last couple of weeks. Like, he seems even more comfortable. That's hard to say because yeah. he, he's always seemed comfortable. And he's such a mismatch because if you put a little guy on him, he just posts up. He's got this great post game where he'll take you down into the paint, just back you down. If you don't double team him, he's going to get a little little jump hook over the top. And, and his three-point shooting has been ridiculous yeah. in the last couple of weeks. So he's really elevated his game. That's why I said 1A and 1B. I, I took TJ because of what coaches say. Yeah. But, but I Again, recognize that. You can't it. go wrong with either one of these guys. Th- this is why this team 
team is still it, it, talked about all the time as an NCAA tournament team. Combination of Yoli and J- I mean just all of the pieces. But the three we've already talked about. You mentioned Yoli and who else? Jake and TJ. That threesome is a core which around everything else is built. This is a very good basketball team right now. Well, and not just because of their skill sets and the numbers that they're putting up, but the fact that they're all seniors. Yeah. And some beyond. Leadership and, yeah. and then some. So then what if they get Baxter back? Oh, my oh, goodness. Oh, so. goodness. Zach Wilson. Let's talk about Zach Wilson. Let's talk about Zach Wilson. I mean, everybody wants to talk about Zach Wilson, even though it's not football season. Um, you know, let, let's listen to what Cam Meller says from Pro Football Focus about Zach Wilson and what his expectations are. I love the way he plays football. I was very, you know, obviously everybody was a little disappointed in the way the season unfolded, but for him to, to finish strong like he did in our our grades, I really would expect Zach to kind of bounce back and have a full healthy season uh, and then get on this top 101 list next year. So in my opinion, Zach Wilson, maybe people had too high expectation for him this past season, um, especially considering he didn't play spring ball. The injury in midseason, coming back from all that. So, so the question I have – Jerem, is this. Was Zach Wilson better than we thought last season? No. His yards per attempt, his (laughs) touchdown-interception ratio, his efficiency, and his yards per carry were all worse. I do know, and I'm very aware, that BYU played a tougher schedule with Zach as the quarterback, right? Guess what? When you're a freshman, you're graded on a curve. It's different. Oh, you were good for a freshman. And he didn't have to play uh, more than one Power 5 team. That was Utah as a freshman. Then uh, suddenly, if you're the guy, you're the guy, right? Zach Wilson can be a good quarterback. We've seen him be incredible, right? But competition certainly played a role in those numbers being down. I think he had to come back from injury too soon, and that affected his numbers. I think his uh, thumb uh, created perhaps an inability to grip the ball, perhaps, that we saw affect him against San Diego State in a way we didn't see against UMass. Hawaii, he was fine. Obviously, third and two, you've got to complete that pass, but he puts up enough points to win that game, you'd think. I'm interested in seeing him progress and him grow. And I would like to see Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney get uh, some good competition there in fall. When the dust settles, Zach Wilson will be the starter against Utah. He doesn't have a short leash. That much was made clear by this coaching staff. He certainly has the highest uh, ceiling. The USC game was, was the game there. He didn't play a perfect game. BYU was plus three in turnover margin. But with Zach Wilson, a quarterback, he can do that. I, I believe that Jaron Hall is right there with him. And I believe that Baylor Romney is a simpler version of those two and can win you games, but I, I'm not quite sure, you know, against Power Five. So it's, uh, was he better than that? No, but I think that he can take a leap as an upperclassman now a junior. Yeah, and I, I think that question begs like, hey, when we look at it and we're a little more objective or not caught in the emotion, was he actually better than we thought he was? So my answer is he was exactly what I thought he was when I look at the numbers, but he was exactly what I expected he would be based on the circumstances. And people forget, I've had to remind a lot of people, um, when we look at this season, you look at his numbers, 62.4%, 2,300 yards, 11 touchdowns. Now, the 12 turnovers are what, what bothers you. Nine of those yeah. were interceptions. Passer rating of 130.8 and BYU was 7-6. and six. And Cam Miller mentioned six of the nine he does not attribute to Zach. Right. They're, they're the tip balls or whatever, right? And so right. so let's, let's compare them. We're going to talk to Steve Young later, right? So Steve Young, his first year as a full-time starter, I'm counting because he only played half of two years, that this basically was his first year. Remember, he didn't play, play spring ball. And I thought that that killed Wait. his regression. Right. Zach Wilson right, did. Right. So, so Steve Young's junior season, 62%, 3,100 yards, 18 touchdowns, 
18 interceptions. No bueno. Steve Young is a junior. A 140 rating. Right? But now let's look at Steve Young's senior year. 71%, 3,900 yards, 33 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, a 168 rating. Yes. And so tough, tough comp. He takes second in the Heisman, and he's a pro right. football player. And so, so look at the progression when you have a <laughs> right. year where you're actually the starter the whole year. You have spring ball. You're the starter in the offseason. You come back and you have a whole year the next year. It makes a huge difference. So I'll give you one more example. Steve Sarkeesian. Remember, um, 1995, they were 7-4, didn't go to a bowl. Mm-hmm. 64%, 3,400 yards, 20 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 149 rating. Oh, let's fast forward to his senior year. 68.8%, 4,000 yards, 33 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and a 173 rating. I remember when Steve was a junior, Sarkeesian, we were going, man, is this, is this experiment of having a JC guy come in any good? And so what I'm saying is he's exactly what I expected him to be, and he's got to get better. And if he will put the work in that those guys did, he has a chance to be better because his skill set is phenomenal. Yeah, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago just – it was tough in the games where he played against teams that won 8-plus. He had six touchdowns total and nine takeaways. So certainly room for improvement. We know the ceiling's high, but, uh, yeah, Zach Wilson. Got to be better, and I think he will. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Well, Friday we recorded an interview with ESPN NFL analyst, BYU football legend, three-time Super Bowl champion, and uh, pro football Hall of Famer Steve Young on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline. We were going to air it yesterday, but the Kobe news uh, passing certainly changed our plans. So we didn't get a chance to ask Steve about Kobe per se, but a lot of interesting subjects came up in this one that we've mentioned. Obviously the Super Bowl, his Niners in this with Fred Warner and Andy Reid and Daniel Sorensen, the Cougar Connection, uh, Taysom Hill in the news as well. Lots to discuss with Steve Young. Here's our conversation with Steve Young from Friday. Steve, as always, great to have you back on the show. And I say this every time, it's been too long. Uh, always. I mean, you know, we should talk weekly, but, uh, we, you know, you guys, you guys, you guys, uh, you know, leave me behind. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> glad to be a part of it. We'll work on that. Let's begin our football conversation with your friend and current head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid. What would a Super Bowl win do for Andy Reid's football legacy? I mean, it's very similar to mine. I mean, uh, you saw the response and the reaction of the crowd and the team. I mean, I know that Andy doesn't want this Super Bowl to be about him, but inevitably a big portion of it will be about him. And it really is, uh, for his, you know, for his resume, uh, look, I, if I didn't win a Super Bowl, it would be different. I wish, you know, that life was easier than that, but that's just a fact. And, uh, and I think for Andy it's the same thing. Um, hugely successful, coaching tree, legacy, uh, incredible success, and uh, a Super Bowl win obviously kind of makes, not finishes it, but certainly puts it in a place where uh, you know people will see it differently. I don't know how Andy will uh, see it differently, but others would, the perception would change for sure. Absolutely. It'd be nice to take away the verbal asterisk uh, with his career and just say, yeah, he won one. He's in the club. He's inside, right? And, and it's fun because not only is Andy in it, Daniel Sorensen with the Chiefs and Fred Warner with the Niners. So for the first time in 11 years, BYU has a guy on each side guaranteed to get someone to win the Super Bowl from BYU. I know. And Fred's done a great job. Because people, I think you realize that Fred came in and with really no 
I mean, a lot of times in the pros, you need a sponsor. And I don't mean like an actual person, but just perceptionally a sponsor, you know, somebody that, you know, you got you got an expectation. And Fred had none. And Fred came in and, cr- and kind of cr- uh, carved out and, and uh, clawed out his own place in, the, in, in the, with the 49ers. And now not just clawed it out himself, but now a leadership role and somebody that people are looking to even as young age as a guy that, uh, you know, runs the place. And I, I ran into Fred when I spoke to the team, and, and he was just uh, fired up. I mean, he just loved the fact that uh, um, I was there and the BYU connection. And, uh, and Fred's very, uh, you know, Fred's still very much about the BYU Cougars, but uh, clearly he's made a huge difference in San Francisco. Yeah, no question. Uh, speaking of Fred Warner and Dirty Dan Daniel Sorensen, both playing in their first Super Bowl, what advice would you give to those guys, this being the first big game that they've played in? That's so hard because the game is so different. Uh, the timing, uh, the routine is, is off. Uh, and, you know, football players are all about routine. And the whole week is a hype. And it's just a football. It's, it's, the football game is kind of embedded in, in, in uh, the middle of just an incredible week of worrying about your family, worrying about the tickets, worrying about, you know, all kinds of things. So, it, it really is, and it's up to the coaches to you know provide an environment where they can feel like it's kind of normal, like the time, you know what we're how we meet, how we practice, what we're talking about. Nothing's out of out of the uh, because you've seen teams uh, that have you know not themselves when they get to the Super Bowl, and the last thing you want, you know, look, win or lose, you just don't want to leave the game going. Like, I don't even know who that was that played. You know, I can't. Re- I don't remember much about it. My fingers were numb, and I forgot about how to how to play good football. And uh, uh, that's the big thing. I mean, you can lose a game because you get beat, but when you beat yourself, that's when the Super Bowls losing, uh, you know, kind of self-inflicted wounds are, you know, really bummers. When you got to the one where you started and won, did it, I guess, of course, help you to have gone before and kind of had a sense of that difference in those games versus the regular games? Oh, so that sure. when you started, you were ready? For sure. Oh, absolutely. I think Jimmy Garoppolo has got that advantage more over really anyone else in the, in the field uh, because he's seen it. He's seen what it looks like. He's seen the, the drama. He's seen – that's helpful. I mean, to me, I, it helps you because you don't you, – you never fool yourself. You never think, oh, I, yeah, I got this figured out because you know you do, you don't, because you've watched it. And so I, I, really, I really think that's helpful. Steve Young, three-time Super Bowl champion, Pro Football Hall of Famer with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, how do you feel about the nickname Dirty Dan for Daniel Sorensen, arguably the most straight-arrowed guy in the entire league? Uh, well, I, I know the, 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 the Jekyll and Hyde of football. Um, some of the nicest humans I ever knew were some of the toughest football players I ever watched or played with. And it was very, you know, you'd, you'd, they'd go out of the locker room and go home, and you thought that they, uh, you know, uh, it was time to go home teaching, you know. I mean, I, and then they'd go to the play, and you're like, who is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> Name names. There's <laughs> <laughs> actually quite a few. This is not a rarity. You know? <laughs> it's not a rarity. And then, and then sometimes you you ran into a guy like Reggie White, where uh, Reggie was, you know, fury. But then he always wanted to talk to you when you got to the quarterback. You know, hey, Steve, how you doing? How's everything? And I'm like, I'm, you know, he'd, be, I'd be getting up from getting sacked. I'm like, Reggie, I'm not doing too good, buddy. I really don't want to talk to you. <laughs> now's a bad time. <laughs> now, now's a bad time. But he actually was worried that he wouldn't see me. And we were friends. And so he was like, wanted to catch up. 
you know. And so I told Reggie, I see Reggie at the Pro Bowl. I said, Reggie, we will, I will make sure that we speak at the end of the game. I promise you, do not have to come sack me to have a conversation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need extra incentive. I don't need extra incentive. But he was that way. He loved the chat. He wanted to make sure that you were, you know, how's it going? How's it, you know, it's like, it was classic. But yeah, there's guys. There's super tough guys that, uh, you know, Tim McDonald, I played for many years in safety. I mean, here's a, uh, uh, a guy that you'd want to date your little girl to, um, you know, run your business to, you know, speak to the uh, church. You know, I mean, this guy is amazing. And then he would just, he's a, he gets on the field, he's a killer. You know, you're like, whoa, okay, sorry, I didn't. You're two different people. <laughs> Famously, Joe Montana has the John Candy moment, right? He sees John Candy. Did you ever have something like that where you just notice something obscure in the middle of this game where you'd think you'd be 100% focused, but your eyes wander for a moment? Mine was at the National Anthem. I, the year before our Super Bowl, Whitney Houston just oh, changed, yes. changed National Anthems forever, you know, in Tampa. And then we were in Miami. And, and I look, I Kathy Lee Gifford, I'm sure, is – phenomenal uh, human but i mean i just it was just as she was singing i was thinking well wait a second this is not whitney houston (laughs) 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 i don't know if that's a john candy moment but i remember thinking this is uh, this not this these things don't don't match for some reason (laughs) (laughs) hey amen to that yeah no one can top whitney that was that's hilarious but i mean you know i mean she's great for a co-host on uh TV, but I didn't, didn't see her singing the national anthem, so that's all. Totally fair statement. Um, I want to go back to something you brought up just a few moments ago, the Pro Bowl. Your guy, Fred Warner, from your beloved San Francisco 49ers, got the snub. Do you think that made him play a little bit harder, Steve? Well, I think Fred's in a, in a mindset that, uh, you know, I'm not so sure he's super offended by it. I mean, he's he's really, like I said, he clawed this out himself, and so he's continuing to do that, and so there's a there's, I'm sure there's a little humility about be where he is, and I think there's also a sense that I'm going to be around for a while, and I'm only going to get better. And people know Fred, and, uh, and that's the thing. A lot of the Pro Bowl is perception. So the perception is Fred wasn't quite there. And whether that's true or not, you know, we recognize that that's probably not the right way to look at it. But the perception is going to continue to change. And in a couple of years, Fred will be like, you know, the mainstay, like he'll be like, oh yeah, Fred Warner on Pro Bowl, and for sure, you know. And and then you look back on your career, and you don't even remember this 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 snub. You know, I won't even, you know, I, I remember Peyton Manning early in his career. Oh, he can't do it. He can't, you know, he can't win the big one. He can't beat the Patriots. He can't do that. He can't. He chokes in the end. You know, and you know, like Peyton's going to be a great player, so you don't have to worry about some of this early stuff. And so I, I think Fred. Fred will look back on his career, his all-pro all career, uh, he won't even remember this one. What should uh, Taysom Hill do for his long-term future? Because he's been this amazing Swiss Army knife. It's been so fun to watch. But in the end, he does want to be a quarterback. So should he wait it out post-Drew Brees with the Saints or look elsewhere at some point? Uh, I think he's got to wait it out because he, he's such a unique talent. He needs somebody that really, you know, he, Having the years in New Orleans, having the years with that system, having a coach that really you can tell believes in him, uh, and willing to take risks to try to put him in a position to to play the position, um, I would not want to go wandering around. Now, there's a couple places you could go, uh, coaches that you knew or systems that you for sure. Yeah, there's a couple spots that I think that you could move to, but 
28 of them, I would not want him to kind of roaming around trying to, you know, make a career at quarterback. I think he's there. Drew is not, I mean, look, Drew is now considering his future. You don't just, you don't keep considering your future for years and years. Um, and so I, I just, I think he's in a great spot. I think they'll pay him as he waits, uh, I suspect, because of the impact he's having already anyway. And so Taysom's got such a cool thing going in New Orleans, and the things that he's doing on the field that they're just going to expand on. I just I don't want him to move around. I mean, I, I moved I moved from the one of the worst teams to the best, and I stuck. I you couldn't you couldn't dig me out of Nor, uh, San Francisco. So I, I I think that you know no matter how it goes, I, I think that Taysom's got to stay there. ESPN NFL analyst, BYU football legend, and Super Bowl champion Steve Young with us on BYU Sports Nation. Let's get right to the question, Steve. Which team is going to win the Super Bowl, the 49ers or the Kansas City Chiefs? I thought the question was Roderick is going to keep calling play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to discuss well, that as let's well. Let's not get confused here. Let's not get confused here. <laughs> <laughs> we got to fo- stay focused, boys. Stay focused. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Hey, yes. we're, okay, not, we're yes. not afraid of that. That is yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. We, we say yes to that. Okay. All right. Good. Now that now we can ask the other question. Uh, I, it's good. I, the matchup is a really cool matchup because, you know, Kyle Shanahan, the last time he ran into uh, a great innovative play caller in Sean Payton in New Orleans, they had it out and the plays they called the things they were doing. It was awesome to watch but it was wide open and crazy. I just don't know if, if Kyle's going to play it that way. He might want to shorten the game and um, run the football like he's been so successful at. And that just changes the dynamic. Um, and, he'll, and he'll want to win that game 28-21 rather than 45-41. You know? And so there's these philosophical conversations I'm sure they're having now on how to attack this game. And I would think, you know, for me, I, I would just – want to just start early and often against Patrick because I think Patrick, no matter what you try to do to him, he has a way of, you know, exploding on you. And uh, if you're going to say, look, I'm going to keep him under 28, um, I think it'd be tough, but I think that's how they'll start it. I think they'll start it to try to shorten the game. And in the end, um, I think it's going to be the last play. I think the 49ers are an incredibly um, put together team as far as their locker room and who they are. This, I got your back thing that I got going. is really, you know, kind of, it really matters. And in the end, I think that might be enough. So, I mean, I, I, I will always pick the 49ers, but I think that uh, I think this one's tight. But uh, those last second plays, you know. Okay, and let's finish with this. ESPN produced the top 150 players in college football history list. You were the only BYU Cougar on it, number 86. Uh, one, how would you feel about that? And two, should Ty or Jim McMahon have been on that list? I thought Jim and Ty and myself should be one, two, three. I don't know what they were. <laughs> in, in what order, Steve? <laughs> right? I don't. It doesn't matter. I mean, I just come on. Look, I learned the game from Jim. I, if I know how to play the position, I learned it from Jim. Jim was the most tactic, uh, technically sound. You know, as crazy as Jim is, he was technically as sound as anyone to ever played the position. The way he dropped through, how he read defenses, um, he was. You know, he was Joe Montana in college, and uh, he went to a you know a place that doesn't really help quarterbacks in Chicago. And I think that in the end, you look back over the many years, anyone who talks about college looks through the pro lens, and I think that's maybe why 
they weren't on it. You know what I mean? It's just inevitable that you can't just separate it for some reason. Uh, because both, I mean, when I, I remember watching Ty as a pro and watching what he was doing. In fact, many times I'll see a player who's got this innate, intuitive nature to the game. It seems like they just get it. And I'm like, oh, that's like Ty Detmer. And so both of them, uh, I, will, I, I, learned what, I learned how to play from Jim, and I learned how to, you know, Ty was back, back me up. And I remember coming off the field, and Ty would give me that look like, what are, you, what are you doing? You're such an idiot. And I would always feel so stupid. I mean, I've been playing for 15 years in the NFL, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Ty, I'm embarrassed. I'm sure have been better. <laughs> you know, because he, he was that guy. He knew. He just get, he got it. So both of them, I mean, they obviously deserve it. And, I, you know, I, I would love it if we were like one, two, three, or whatever it was, just right together because uh, – um, awesome to be able to be there, to be around what we had going and what we hopefully will get going again and, and at times. And, uh, and they should be on it for sure. I mean, Jim and Ty were phenomenal, no question. Steve, always great to have you on the show. You're always welcome at BYU Broadcasting. Bring your uh, family by anytime. Hang out in Studio C. And uh, we'll continue our Aaron Roderick conversation very soon. <laughs> Just make sure. Just make sure he calls the play. Like <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> See you, boys. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. So with Kobe Bryant clearly trending today, uh, we'd like to kind of jump into some of the BYU personalities that have tweeted about him and his impact and how it affected them. And we'll start with uh, one of the all-time greats at BYU, Jimmer Fredette on Twitter, who tweeted, Such a sad day. Rest in peace to a legend. He was an inspiration to so many, including myself. Prayers to his loved ones right now. Hashtag Mamba. Jimmer played in an NBA exhibition game. It was either his first or second game ever as a member of the Kings, against the Lakers, and he had an interaction with Kobe Bryant. And Kobe was guarding him. Think about Kobe's career, where it spanned, right? Kobe, Kobe guarded, uh, you know, met up with Sean Bradley all the way to Kyle Collinsworth, perhaps, and Brandon Davies, right? That, that 20-year span is just unbelievable. Yoli Childs, current BYU player, of course, on Instagram. The most important thing is to try and inspire people so that they can be great in whatever they do. That's a quote from Kobe. Now, Yoli, I've been thinking about all the stories I've heard about Kobe that inspired me and all the games I stayed up watching as a kid, his relationships with his daughters and his work after basketball. Kobe's legend will live forever. His work ethic and passion will continue to inspire me to be great at what I love. And that's where the impact is here. This, is, well, this wasn't just a great basketball player. This was a guy who created an entire way of life in terms of attacking life with a vigor that was more than you thought you could accomplish, right? And... Uh, Kobe Bryant had a unique uh, situation with uh, technology as well. So when he comes out, that's 95, 96, right? That's when everyone kind of has an email and has uh, the internet. So he, he is when the internet happens, right? And all, of us, all, all the way up to memes and vines and TikTok and whatnot. He grew up with the media too. And we felt like we grew up with him because we're introduced to him when he's 17, and he's only five years older than I am and like three and a half from you. So there's some relatability to that, which is, which is unique as well. Certainly. I, I played in a basketball tournament in the year 2000 uh, in Las Vegas called, at the time it was called uh, 
the big time, the Las Vegas big time. And it was one of these premier high school tournaments. And I was looking at a list of the MVPs of this tournament. And I noticed that Kobe Bryant had won it like two or three years in a row, like 94, 95, 96, Kobe Bryant. And, I and you thinking, thought, I can join this list. I was thinking, <laughs> one, why am I here playing in this tournament if Kobe Bryant is the MVP of this event? Northridge doing it. All these NBA guys, but um, just, yeah, I, I knew who he was clearly very well in that moment. Like he, he had already established himself as one of the basketball greats, and it was only the year 2000, and then, you see what he did the next 20 years. It just, it is unbelievable how many people he impacted. Um, and I, I remember when, uh, when Michael Jackson passed away and what that meant to the world and the entertainment business. And I saw that because I was working in news in Colorado at the time and it just, the world kind of stopped. It was just, it stopped. And so, but this one impacted me more than that because I felt like I had way more of a personal connection probably because he was a sports figure and because of yes. social media. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, you hopefully you feel like you kind of know us, right? We don't know you, but we feel a connection to you, sure. right? Um, in, in a similar way, right? We feel like we have a connection to Kobe Bryant. I never met Kobe. He doesn't know me, right? I don't really know him, but I know him. I feel like I know him. And that connection matters. And you and I love basketball. I love basketball. That is my favorite sport to play. So a piece of basketball died yesterday. And that was really hard, right? He's one of the iconic figures in the history of the world. Certainly. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Men's volleyball absolutely tearing it up right now. As we mentioned, talking a little BYU football, it's time to look back and look forward at the BYU football team. And today we are looking at the specific position of offensive line presented by Tim Daly Nissan. And last week, Cam Meller from Pro Football Focus joined us and he was speaking very highly of the BYU offensive line. Here's a piece of what we had, of what he had to say on BYU's offensive line play. Yeah, just, it, you know, it speaks to how high they graded among, among their peers. You know, those, it, James is a, is a top returning center, didn't quite make the 101 because of, you know, tight, their tackles are a little bit more valuable to an offense you got to be able to stop that pressure on the outside and be able to run block from the tackle. So that's kind of where Brady made the list, much higher graded. But James, you know, definitely he, he was worth more wins and worth, uh, you know, more than the average center, more than any, anybody else I think than Matt Hennessy uh, at Temple this season. So for him to be on that list of top, in, in the top ten of returning guys, uh, it speaks to how, how highly, you know, he should grade and how highly uh, valuable he is to the BYU offense next year. Obviously, from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, there was a bit of a transformation on the offensive line, and there were many reasons why. Here's just a quick, quick look at, at the change from Game 1 versus Utah and then how the offensive line played out in the bowl game. So in Game 1 versus Utah, your left tackle was Brady Christensen. Your left guard was Chandon Herring. Your center was James Empey. Right guard was Tristan Hodge, and your right tackle was Keanu Saliapaga. So that's how things started in the beginning, week one, versus the University of Utah. 
Here is what BYU ended the season with in the bowl game. Your left tackle, Brady Christensen. Left guard, Keanu Saliapaga. Your center, James Impey. Your right guard, Clark Barrington. And your right tackle, Blake Freeland. So what that says is from game one to game 13, BYU had two offensive linemen that played every game, that started every game at the same position. That was left tackle with Brady Christensen and center with James Impey. No surprise, those are the two guys that are getting the highest marks right now. Right, and, and I'll tell you, they're, they're a very talented duo um, that were the, the core of what BYU got done last year on the offensive line, but they're surrounded by a lot of talent. Note that in that bowl game, you're starting a couple of freshmen right. on that offensive line. I can tell you that talking to the, this coaching staff, they love Freeland. And they love Barrington, and they, and you know, you, we there were other people that started along the way too. We don't even think about Harris Lachance who started some games, uh, but injuries took their toll yep. on BYU. You know, they they stayed fairly healthy for a couple of games, but they started to incur injuries as they got into the meat of that four or five game beginning of the year grind with all of those good football teams. And the the benefit of it now is that a lot of guys played and a lot of talented guys played, and now BYU comes back. This is the strength of the football team uh, for the 2020 season. They are big and nasty and deep on the offensive line. Look, Thomas Schoff and Addison Pulsifer are your only seniors, so you're bringing so many guys back. Former tight end uh, Joe Tukuafu now on the offensive line, and uh, offensive line coach Eric Mateos was on BYU Sports Nation last week, and and he said that the O-line is in good shape numbers-wise, maybe even a little over for fall. And so, I mean, I, I think that they like where they are. I think they like the talent that is there. And, and it goes to what you were talking about earlier in the show, that you know, when, when the new coaching staff came in, one of the areas that they focused on specifically was the offensive line. They changed the, the way that it looked physically and the way that they played and, and I think that that was, look, when BYU, and you, you said this, when BYU was at its peak, one of the biggest reasons beyond all of the quarterbacks and, and all that, it was, it was dominating offensive line play. And, and that's what they're going for again. Well, and they had, to, they had to start Brady Christensen as a freshman. They had to start James Emsey as a freshman two yep. years ago. And so they retooled. They rebuilt it based on a different type of offense. This is more the West Coast offense. And so building it differently, they needed different guys. They needed longer, taller, long-arm, pass-protecting type Which guys. is what it used to, the offensive line yep. used to look like. Yeah, and so I'm telling you, there's a lot of young talent. They've been playing since they were youngins, and this this group is going to be dominating next season. So, The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Former NBA basketball legend, if I can call him that, Star at BYU, Fred Roberts. He's not going to stop us. Fred, yes. Let's just start with the legendary status of the NBA. How does it feel to be a legend? Oh, a legend. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I wish I would have been a bigger legend. But uh, I, I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm still able to make a jump shot occasionally. It's been fun. We, we had you in the studio, and we need to get a shot. We, we have this picture uh, on our set that that is quite the I don't want to say relic. That's not the right word. But uh, you were taking close, paying close attention to this this picture. What what are your thoughts on this picture? That uh, the that, boys from the, BYU, yeah, the boys from BYU. BYU from back in the day. Well, that was going to be our big money maker. 
Or I think Devin. Devin's a big money maker. You know, he had this idea that we, and it was kind of nice because we all had uh, made it to the NBA, and so we thought, well, let's let's do something special. And Devin had that idea, and he put us together, and uh, it's quite the picture, isn't it? Yeah, this is. I've got about two hundred in my basement. <laughs> You've got two hundred of these in your not, basement, not framed. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the this is the picture, uh, and we had to get we had, if you've got some of these, we had to get these signed. Get Fred Roberts signed picture of these, absolutely great. This would be awesome. Devin Durant, Danny Ainge, you guys make were it styling happen. back. In I only have one question, we're, Fred. Why why a red tie? That is a great point. It's a great question. Well, Kite's got one too. It's probably the only tie I had. I don't know. <laughs> and we thought, you don't know. Hey, the only one who went on the mission was Devin, and so I think the rest of us just say, hey, let's dress up like we could have been missionaries. <laughs> Fred Roberts stuff. with us in Studio B on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, during the break, when you came in here earlier, we were talking about differences in the game. Uh, how have things progressed and changed the most from the time you played basketball at BYU and in the NBA, for that matter, to how the game is now? It. It's a big change. Uh, it's changed more than I ever thought it would. And I watching me watching our games, looking back at that, I just think, whoa, we we didn't move around very much. And the shooting, everybody can shoot now. Uh, when they put that three point line, it, it, when they first did, I remember Daryl Griffith. Uh, he um, led the NBA in three point shots. I think he took like ninety. That's crazy. I think yeah. Now you know everybody on the team shooting ninety a year. You know and. Uh, so that's changed the game com- completely. The three-point shot, where they're looking at it like you know we can get three compared to two shot points. And so when I first when I first made the change, I'd go watch a game and says hey, they go in for layup and they throw it out to the three-point line. And I, I I didn't understand it, but they say you score more that way. <laughs> so guy like me, if I took a shot outside the uh, free throw line, I would have been the coach would have kind of and maybe didn't take it now, but. These days, everybody's shooting that three-point, and everybody's so physical. The conditioning, the training is uh, incredible compared to what we had. The shoes, our shoes were like wearing boots compared to what they you got. <laughs> you know, I, I would look at their shoes like, I know I could have dunked it if I could have worn those shoes. I just know it. What have been your overall impressions of this year's BYU basketball team and the, and the job that Coach Pope and his staff have done coming in? Well... Don't want. I've, I've, for five years, I just felt like there has not been any enthusiasm, any passion on the bench uh, here at BYU, and the players feel that. You know, they just you just kind of get into this feeling that's just the way it is, and all of a sudden you get a guy come here who come in who wants to put some energy into it and some passion into it. And the players feed off. They they got good players. Uh, they got a good system. Um, Mark brings in a good system. Uh, brings you got shooters, uh, you guys who want to run the run the floor. But yeah, I think the biggest thing is they've got a system that they believe in. They got a coach who believes in it, and they're going to be uh, engaged, aggressive. You know, a, the Pope, he's an all-in guy. You know, he's not going to stand back and say, "Okay, here we go, good luck out there tonight, guys." No, he is that guy's putting his. Putting his heart into it for sure, and you just and the players know it. It makes a difference on the court. And you played on arguably the greatest BYU basketball team ever assembled in the early '80s, and uh, I mean the Elite Eight. It was an incredible run for BYU basketball, farthest have ever gone in the NCAA tournament. 
What was it about that team that made it so special that maybe these teams that are playing now can learn from? Well, I think, again, we had a, uh, we believed in our system. We believed uh, in each other. We believed in our plan. We had a guy like Danny Ainge who um, had the temperament, the personality. When we walked out on the floor, we, he kind of – we belonged. You know, uh, and I don't know if I would have been that way. I, I, I knew I'd just go out there and I was going to play hard and get after it. But Danny gave us that little boost that said, hey, we belong here. And I'm, I'm kind of just as more special than anybody else. And, and we're going to win. And I, I think that kind of lifted everybody else. Um, and we had good players. We had good size. We had uh, a coach who, who prepared us well for the games. And we knew that uh, if the game was going to be was close – you know, Danny could find a way to uh, win the game for it. He'll make a big shot or he'll get us a big shot. He'll make free throws. We made our free throws. Um, and we just kind of things really came together well for us that year. It was, it, it was a great, fun year for sure. As, as, a, as a big man and a guy that's played at the next level, you're perfect to be able to talk about this. Yoli Childs came back for his senior year looking to prepare just a little bit more to play uh, beyond college. What what do you look at as Yoli's future in basketball? What what do you think is possible for him? Because he there's no question about it, about it. He is he is an unbelievable talent. He is, and I you know the the question for me has always been his size. You know he's kind of a but he plays big. He plays big, but he doesn't have seven foot or six foot ten, six foot eleven uh, size. But I can I kind of compare him to. Uh, Al Horford, mm-hmm. who's playing with uh, Philly now, right? Yep, Philadelphia. And then um, I remember his name this morning, the kid at Denver who played here at the Jet, um, Millsap. Millsap. Paul Millsap. That's kind of who he is. He can make, Yoli can make shots. He's going to rebound. He plays hard. He's got good skills. Uh, and I think professional teams are going to look at him and say, he works his game. You can tell that he, he works his craft and he becomes uh, – He's a skilled player who works on it and does what he has to do. He can make the long shot. Um, the only thing is, the question they might have: Can he play defense out on the floor? But I, I feel like a guy like because he's so athletic, I think he can transition into that. But I, that's the kind of guy he needs to be as a Millsap or a uh, Al Horford. And those two are those are two great players. Fantastic NBA players. Fred, it's great to catch up with you. I can't, I can't believe we waited this long to do this. Come back well, and talk with us again soon, huh? That's what you say every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's great fun. Great being with you guys. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, on BYU TV and BYU Radio. BYU.